0: If Adam blew it and he fell, why am I being held guilty? God got it wrong, and I won't accept it. And that's what some people say. So, I'm held guilty because of something Adam did. You bet I'm upset. This doesn't make any sense. God arbitrarily holds me guilty and is pouring out his judgment on my eternal soul because of Adam, a man I do not know and never met. No, I'm more than angry. This makes no sense. It puts a heap of guilt on all the people in the world— And they don't understand why they're being found guilty. Do you realize that the guilt is felt by every individual and me? Why am I guilty? Why is God laying this all on me? We need to ask the right questions if we want the right answers. Before you go as far as to ask these questions, stop and think it through. Our anger reveals that we really don't understand exactly what's going on here. God is out for our good. He's out for our welfare and our benefit. He's not trying to rule over us in a facetious manner. He's not some despot with a stick wanting to beat us. God is actually showing undeserved grace by allowing Adam to be the representative. How so? Well, first, what would cause Adam to wake up and pay more attention to his ways than an acute knowledge that what he did or would not do would affect his progeny? And in this case, untold billions of people. Within the family structure, the fathers are well aware of this, that if I have children, there's things I can do that could really mess my children up. They should be aware of this. Today, is questionable. The decision the father makes concerning finances will most definitely affect his family, his wife and his children. And what he teaches his children and how he leads his children, how he loves his wife and how he conducts himself will have a true and lasting impact on on his children, an indelible imprint will be left on the children and the grandchildren, and so on. The actions of this one man, me, can affect individuals for generations to come. Now, if you don't agree with that, then really you're not understanding what is going on here, okay? Representation is a very real thing, and it applies to daily life. The man that's tempted to drink, let's say, he goes out and he's under a lot of pressure, and he's tempted to drink alcohol. He holds back because the knowledge of his drunkenness will destroy the family. I have an acquaintance who assures me he quit drinking because it was destroying his daughter. The gambler may keep the dice in his pocket for the sake of keeping the money that he's going to need in order to feed the children. He sees what effect his actions will have on his family. And the thief, he won't steal because if he gets caught, he gets locked up. What's that going to do to his family? Now, establishing a sense of personal responsibility in your child is very important, and it may not always work, I know that, but having this established within the sensibilities of a man's character is a big step, and it's a tremendous thing. Adam had this restraint in place. It was in his mind. The restraint God had imposed upon Adam was this, don't eat of that tree, Adam. I do not believe that God did it in a very mean way, a cruel way. It wasn't like a, you know, hit the guy and say, don't you dare do this. I don't believe that was the case here. He told Adam, don't eat of this tree, any other tree you can eat of, of, but not this one. And that served as the guidepost that served as the law and that represented limitations for Adam. And that was the only law he was given. There are some things I can do and some things I can't do logically, physically, but there are some things morally I know I can do, and some things morally I know I cannot do. And it's God that instills a sense of right and wrong within the man. It's in in conscience at birth. We have this built within us. But in the end, Adam decided that no, he's going to throw off all that responsibility, and he sinned willfully. He ignored the grace of God, and he sinned. God did not arbitrarily make these laws. He did not get it wrong. It wasn't Adam's sin that stuck with Adam alone. Adam's sin was not a rebellion to a capricious command, which had no meaning. It showed that he stands as our representative. But the key here is knowing that it's far better for us that he stood as our representative than we stand individually. And I'll explain that to you. The Bible says in Romans 5.19, which we mentioned before, for just as through the disobedience of one man, that's Adam, the many were made sinners So also through the obedience of the one man, that's Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous, all right? God has chosen by design to deal with us through established representation. Adam was the man. He's the legal representative. He stood on my behalf. He wasn't a flawed man. Initially, he had no flaws in him at all. He was perfect. He was perfect in every way. No corruption was found in him. And he was the definitive federal head of mankind. Take note, Adam was made of the dust of the ground, okay? So he was a man of the earth, and then tragedy hit. And it's through his representation that we were all made sinners now. How does that work? Adam essentially sold us out. He stumbled willfully, and he fell by an act of his will. But you say, wait, I I didn't elect him as my representative, and I didn't have any say in this. I didn't have a vote in it at all. No, actually, you don't have a vote in this. You weren't born yet. You didn't have a vote when George Washington was elected president, nor did I. Actually, you do not have a vote in how Adam represented you. But in that he failed does not mean that all hope is lost. The fact is, God did not forsake me and you, He did not forsake us. Man did, and man will. By that, I mean Adam forsook us, and men will forsake you. Everything was lost in Adam. He failed, and there's no two ways around that. He held the title documents of humanity in his hand, and he elected to sign them over to Satan, the fallen angel of light, Lucifer, the deceiver, the devil. Adam chose to embrace darkness rather than light. He intentionally turned from perfect love to embrace deception and lies. It was not done in ignorance. It wasn't done by accident. It wasn't a slip up. He knew what was right. He knew what was wrong. And he was not an ignorant man. He knew the consequences, but did not necessarily believe God in this matter. As our representative, our federal head, he brought us all down with him. God didn't throw up his hands in frustration, though, and walk away. Just think if our president were to surrender our nation to a foreign power, and he let our government be overtaken by a foreign power, Our president, we would say, betrayed us. He, being our federal head, gave over all the reins of authority to some foreign power. That's essentially what we're we're talking about here. God didn't throw up his hand to walk away in in frustration. And some ask, well, why didn't he just wipe everything out and start over? Well, the amazing thing is that he did. But he did it through his goodness and grace and not through a capricious fit of anger and frustration. The brilliant man sees the problems and he says, let's find a remedy. That's a brilliant man. But we're talking about God of all creation, the God of all mercies and kindness, the God of all knowledge. He knew exactly what needed to be done. Man needed a new federal head, one who was sinless and one who could stand in perfection throughout all time without any interruption for all who were who, uh, somebody who could stand for all who sinned and were bound in death. The Bible tells us that the soul that sins will die. In Ezekiel 18.20, well, you jump back real quick and say, well, I wasn't in Adam. I didn't sin. Hold it. Have you ever lied? Have you ever sinned? Have you ever done anything wrong against God? Well, then you're guilty. Why did you do that? Is it part of your nature? It is indeed. You chose to sin willfully, so that makes you willfully guilty, just like Adam. You're acting like your father. The soul that sins will die. And furthermore, all men have sinned, and therefore they fall short in the qualifications. So no man has been found to be worthy of being the federal representative. None. No man. Nobody could hold that position. And another thing in in what Paul is telling us in Romans 3.10, he says that no man seeks God. So there's nobody looking to take the place that Adam vacated, but God. What a wonderful phrase. There are people who suffer and struggle. They don't have anybody to call upon. They feel the guilt. They don't have anybody who's going to stand for their cause. They feel so alone and isolated. They don't have anybody that they believe cares. It's a dreadful and a lonely place to be. Yet all men have this same opportunity to see that they can say in hardship, but God. But God has stood up for us. God has stepped in. We have an anchor that can hold us steady in the strong, hard winds, The poorest, most wretched man, the most isolated individual, the one who stands alone, has somebody who will stand on his behalf. All may seem lost in life, and our heads are weighed down with worry and fear, but God is able to lift us up and bring joy where there's nothing but sadness. He's able to speak, and light will scatter the darkness. He did it once, he can do it again. Adam fell, and all seemed lost. But God That's the wonderful phrase. God showed mercy, patience, undeserved, unmerited favor. He did not erase mankind. He didn't annihilate mankind. But he did set about to create a new race, a new humanity. He took his son, his only begotten son, and he established him as our new representative. Jesus became a full human being. The son of God came down as a man, and he was fully man and he became our new federal head. For God so loved us that he gave his only son, Jesus, to be our new representative. Jesus Christ is the second Adam that you read about in the book of 1 Corinthians 15, 45-49. through Don't let the name throw you off. Adam simply means man. Okay, In the original language, Adam means man. In this second Adam, or man, we have hope and we find forgiveness in Jesus. The first Adam or man, was made from the earth, which I mentioned earlier. In Hebrew, it's pronounced Adama, which is man. And this means the first man was a natural man of the earth. The second Adam, Jesus, was from heaven. He came down from heaven. Now imagine this. Suppose you had to stand on your own, and every offense had to be explained. And for each offense, the stated judgment stands. The wages of sin is death. Now you want to argue, you don't stand in Adam. Adam's sin was Adam's sin and not yours, so you answer for your own sin. Okay? Now, judgment comes and you're standing before God, and he's gonna open up the book and he's gonna say, Well, let's see. And he names one sin. You gotta defend yourself. What's your defense? You have no defense. You sinned. That's one. Then there's two. And then there's the thousandth. Then there's ten thousand. How do you answer for all these sins? There's no way. There's no defense. But if you had somebody who stood on your behalf that was absolutely perfect and innocent, and he said, look, I'll stand for him, I'll pay the debt for him, knowing that the wages of sin is death, then you're freed by the representation of that one man, right? Your guilt or innocence will be determined by the omniscient God who is just in all of his dealings. And if you don't have an excuse, if you don't have an answer, if you don't have any way to get that sin removed from your record, then you're going to be judged. And you can't stand before a holy God. He not only knows all that you've done, but he knows why you did what you did. So there's no excuse available. Thus it is written. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. Adam, the man, came first, right? The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are also those who are of the dust. I'm just like Adam. I'm from dust, and I'm going to live like Adam. But those that are in Christ, then those who are of him, are like those who are in heaven. Just as we've borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. That's in First Corinthians 15, 45-49. You have to walk your way through this. Think about it go over a few times to understand it. But once you get a hold of this, and you begin to understand that Christ is our representative now, you'll see that all of our sin is taken care of in Christ. Not in me. I'm guilty. But in Christ, he covers for all my sin. He's forgiven me all my sin. And so when I stand before God, I point to Christ. We who abide in death, due to sin, we can be made alive. Through the new birth, we're born of God. God in Jesus has created a new man to be our representative. John Stott, a pastor, refers to this as a new race. Now, some choose to be angry. If you want to, be angry. If you are, you're not understanding what the scriptures are saying here. I sincerely believe that this reveals our gross lack of understanding regarding the ways and the means of God's graceful intervention. God has no desire to destroy you. We're created for fellowship with him. His desire is for fellowship with you. He longs for you in a way that we will never know. But in Adam, we were sold out. We see it now because it's part of our nature. And then we run and hide. Just like Adam ran and hid, we run and hide. We make excuses. But we say, no, no, no. Adam did that. I didn't do that. Okay, So when you sin, then you ran directly to God with open arms like you always do, right? You lied to your wife. And so immediately you run to God and you ask forgiveness, right? And you run to your wife and you tell her and you ask forgiveness, right? No, you run to hide. Given the right occasion, you run to God and you find deep fellowship. But if you want to embrace your sins, which we all do, you run and hide. Now, you're saying it wasn't your fault. It wasn't in Adam, but Matt is saying, well, for my youth, all I've done is followed and run to God. Is that your confession? Well, no, it's not. Why not? Because you've chosen not to do it. Oh, well, I didn't know. Okay, now you do know. But you're not doing exactly what Adam did, are you? A man you didn't know as a child. But you did it anyway. You sinned anyway. God's moved on your behalf even when you didn't understand these things and you lived and lusted after sin. Rather than closing the door altogether, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to stand in your place to bear your sin. We can get all excited and have bands play and all this stuff, but nothing's going to move your heart or your mind better than the knowledge of this truth right here. God has forgiven us our sin In Christ Jesus, it's not by what you have done or what you can do. He sent a representative on your behalf to stand for you in judgment. And Christ bore your judgment. He took all of your sin upon himself. He became sin. Who knew no sin? God so loved you that he did this. Christ Jesus died for us. That's the amazing thing. That is the absolute amazing thing. Adam and Eve were literally holding the reins of all the earth. And there were no restrictions that we know of other than that tree. That one tree. Many said it was an apple tree. I don't know. Why an apple tree? I don't know. It's a fruit. All sorts of things have been said regarding the fruit. Some even say it might not have been a tree, but the word of God says it was a tree. So I don't have any questions about that. It wasn't a berry bush or a shrub. It was a tree. And the tree showed A restraint to Adam. It was a reminder to Adam that he was not, he was not God. He did not call the shots. God did. He wasn't a co-equal or a partner to God. He was of the dust, and it was the breath of God that was breathed into his nostrils. He was created by God. And therefore, by right of creation, he is fully responsible to God. God created a being that was fully and absolutely dependent upon him. And it wasn't out of a maniacal drive to show his power. He created man for fellowship, and he wanted to provide everything that a man would need. And I thought quite a bit about Adam and Eve lately. Of course, I study this and I read this. And one question I, I'd like to know is how long was Adam and Eve in the garden prior to their fall? And that's a question. Was it a year Was it a decade? How long was it? One probability is this. They hadn't been in the garden that long, and the devil came to them while they weren't that familiar with God. That's a possibility. It's just strictly a conjecture. But Satan hates rules, and he hates restraints, and he came in after having heard God's requirements, and his method was and is to cast doubt on God's word. And That's one lesson we're going to learn through a lot of these studies is that the devil is out to destroy God's word so you don't have anything to trust in. And he's out to destroy any history about God and any knowledge that you might have about God. He wants to pervert everything you know about God. This is his method. He wants to convince men and women that God is not good and therefore God cannot be trusted. God is holding out on you. Is that true? We're going to find this out as we continue our study in the origin of reason.